started a new series last week, and it was called Rooted in Faith, Wrapped in Love. And uh, this morning we're going to continue that series with the second message in it entitled Goodness. And I wanted to think a little bit about our church sign. Um, everyone seems to love that sign. I've had a love-hate relationship with that sign. I came here and uh, Sal came into my office, I think it was the, the second day or something that I was here, with a big stack of papers that had all these sign sayings on it and said, thank goodness you're here. <laughs> so, so I was the one doing the sign, but anyways, um, I've had different people over the years, but for the last long while, Karen Ridge has been amazing. She's taken it on herself to find sayings for that sign that are funny and non-offensive, which is increasingly difficult in our easily, easily offended world. And uh, she's done a great job. But I found a church sign that really encapsulates the theme of the message tonight. So I put it on the slide. I didn't put it on the sign because I thought it might be a little offensive. But live so the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. You ever heard that expression before? That's a good one. Speaking from the perspective of the preacher who has to Try not to lie at funerals. This is good advice for all of us. Live so the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. This is the theme of this morning's message on goodness. How are we living? What are the virtues that are in our life that, uh, that people will remember one day after we're gone? This is the first in a series of virtues in 2 Peter Last week, just to recap, because it kind of leads into this week, we looked at the idea of making every effort. I talked about how the Christian faith takes effort and determination. Um, Olympians, I, we, I talked to you about some Olympians and their habits and their routines and how hard they train to do what they do. And I asked a very difficult question that cut me as much as I'm sure it probably impacted you. Um, do we take our... Christian faith as seriously as an Olympian would take their training? Are we devoted to this? Do we, quote, make every effort? Because Peter said this world is corrupt. And he meant it in a couple ways, I believe. In the one sense, it's corrupt because um, things wear out. I, I use the example in the five-minute message, my eyes are wearing out. I get stronger prescriptions. Um, these bodies wear down over time. God has provided freedom, ultimate freedom from that. But also in a moral sense, there's a whole bunch of trouble going on in the world. And we don't have to live in that. We can live outside of that because God, through his divine power, Peter said, has given us everything we need to live lives of godliness that uh, allow us to live in the life of God. To be with God, which is truly what eternal life means. And so he says, make every effort out of your faith to grow goodness, and so on and so forth. And we're looking at that first thing that we should pour our efforts into, which is goodness. So let's read the text. <clears throat> I shortened it a little bit. Just First uh, Peter 1, verses 5 through 10. For this very reason... You must make every effort to support your faith. And it doesn't say it this way here, but the idea in the original Greek text is because out of your faith comes goodness. And out of goodness comes knowledge, 
And out of knowledge comes self-control, and out of self-control comes endurance, and out of endurance comes godliness, and out of godliness comes mutual affection, and out of mutual affection comes love. That's the progression from faith to love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being idle and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make all the more effort. See, earlier he said make every effort, and then he wraps it with make all the more effort. Effort is required to confirm your call and election. So, going along with the theme of that church sign that I showed you, let's talk about funerals this morning. <laughs> Lest you think I'm morbid, there's good biblical support for thinking in these terms. And don't worry, I'm not going to get morbid with it. But one of my uh, one of my favorite bands from when I was young, their name is The Choir. They wrote a song called "The Sad Face Is Good for the Heart," and I remember looking up the Bible verse that it was found in and reading it from Ecclesiastes and thinking that doesn't sound like the Bible. But this is good advice. Let me read it for you. This is Ecclesiastes 7. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Amen. It is better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter. Because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It's worth, we don't, we don't do this as a society today. We don't do this in our culture. We like to push death to the margins of our lives and not think about it. Um, we remove ourselves from it and avoid it as much as we can until we have to come face to face with it. But the author of Ecclesiastes is a pretty smart fellow. And he suggests it's worth thinking about. And I want to think about it just a little bit this morning along this theme of goodness. <laughs> I was once asked to do a funeral, um, it was a few years back now, for a person that I didn't know. Their pastor was away on vacation, and they, they, he couldn't get back in time, and it was an emergency. And so he called me and asked if I could do this funeral. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll step in for you. I didn't know the person, I didn't know the community, I didn't know the town, I didn't know anything. I had one phone call with a loved one of the person who had passed away, and I, I tried to do, my, do the pastor thing and try to find out a little bit about this person that passed away. Oh, what was he like? Oh, I really like Johnny Cash. Okay, but what, how would you describe him? Man, he loved the music of Johnny Cash. And it seemed like no matter how I tried to probe into this person's life, all they knew was that he liked Johnny Cash. I'm like, well, Lord, here we go. So I wrote a message about Johnny Cash, because I happen to be a big Johnny Cash fan. And I brought out some qualities in Johnny Cash's life and how they can inspire us to live today. And, and I did my best to do this message. And... I still remember after the service, this woman came up to me, like, really seriously, grabbed my hands. It was like you'd known him your whole life. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That certainly wasn't me. But I wanted to 
ask a question, the two questions. The first question is this. At your funeral, how do you want people to describe you? Hopefully they'll have more to go on than was a fan of Johnny Cash. <laughs> Although you can say that about me, I'll own that one. What would you, how would you want people to describe you? Think about your life now. Take a moment. How would you like your friends to describe you? Let's pick three qualities. And maybe if you can't do it right now, I hope this will stick around in your mind when you leave here. Think of some qualities. What would you like people to say about you at your funeral? I've given this some thought this week. And I, I, I've chosen my three that I think I would want people to say at my funeral. I would want people to say that I'm a person of integrity. That, and by that, I mean I'm the same with everyone all the time. What you see is what you get. Straightforward. I would want people to say that I'm compassionate. I've worked hard on that. <laughs> and I would want people to say that I was curious because uh, I love so many different things. Intellectually curious, it's driven me to make more education and so on. I think those are the three I probably want people to say about me. But it's one thing to want someone to say something about you. It's another thing to know what they actually would say. And so this is the second question, and this is the hard one. Not at the funeral, because everyone lies at funerals. Oh, they were saints. Um, you, you don't bring up the bad stuff at funerals, right? Because there's no point. You just emphasize the goodness. So not at a funeral, but after the funeral's done, when people are home just talking to each other in their private moments and they're remembering your life, what would they say about you? Don't, don't answer this, by the way. I don't need to see a hand. But think about it. What do you think your loved ones, those who are close to you, would say are the qualities that define you? Are they the qualities you'd want them to say? The good news is, oh, and by the way, that word goodness that is the theme of this message is also translated virtue. And it's not just one thing, but it's like a category. And so this is what we're talking about, the qualities, the characteristics that define who we are. The good news is these qualities are not set in stone. Um, who you were as a teenager is probably not who you are now unless you're still a teenager. Um, we change over time, and that change can be for better or for worse, depending on how we live our lives and the things we do with our life. So how you are now, if you're sitting there thinking, I, want, I would want people to say this, but they'd probably say this, it's not too late. It's not too late to develop those characteristics, those qualities. In fact, I teach, um, I teach a theology course online at Master's College, and one of the things that I emphasize is that time is a gift that God gives to his creation so his creation can become what it was made to be. Get, get that time is a gift that we have that enable us to become who we were created to be. None of us were created who we were created to be when we were little infants. We grow up, we develop, we mature, and our character, our qualities, our virtues, hopefully matures over that time as well. This is what time is for. And ultimately, in the end, we will finally, when we are face to face with Jesus, know who we truly are and who we were called to be. There's this beautiful metaphor, this hint 
in symbolic language in Revelation about this. It's a little verse that I love. George MacDonald wrote a, wrote a sermon on it. It's stuck in my head ever since. But Revelation 2.17 reads, To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and a white stone. And on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. That's an odd promise, right? To those of us who overcome, when we've overcome this world, when we've overcome this life, when we stand face to face with Jesus, in the symbolic language of Revelation, he will hand us a white stone with our name on it. A name that no one knows but ourselves. The idea here is that we will finally be the people who God has created us to be. But while we are here in this world, we are called to, to mature in these areas. We are all different. We are all strong in areas, weak in other areas. We're not all called to be the same. But what qualities do you feel God has called you to? So let's do our funeral planning right now. And I don't mean, like, what hymns do you want sung and all that stuff, although that's really helpful, by the way. Um, <laughs> just speaking as a pastor. Um, I'm talking about planning our lives so that when that day comes... I won't have to lie at your funeral, or you won't have to lie at mine, right? Let's do this. Let's become the people that we're called to be, and it begins with this idea of goodness. The word in the Greek language for goodness is arete, and you don't really have to remember that at all. The only reason I said it is because if you're reading your Bible with different translations, it's going to translate it using different words. So if you're reading a New International Version or a New Revised, it's going to say goodness. If you're reading a New Living or New American Standard, it's going to say moral excellence. If you're reading a King James or an English Standard Version, it's going to say virtue. This is the kind of idea we're talking about. The virtues are the things that we put in place in our life that make us who we are. The characteristics that grow out of our faith, right? Because out of our faith springs, out of our allegiance to Jesus, springs virtue. It's a Greek philosophical term. It's rare in the Bible, but it's used in one other place that's really significant. I wanted to read it to you, and I think you'll recognize it quite quickly. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is arete, if anything is virtuous, if anything is morally excellent, if anything is good or praiseworthy, think on these things. These are the qualities and characteristics that we should be shooting for. Originally, this idea of virtue meant the quality that was appropriate for the object. Now that seems abstract, so let me make a little bit more plain. A little bit more plain. The virtue of a rock is that it's heavy. That's how they would speak, the, the philosophers in Jesus' day and before Jesus' day. The virtue of a rock is to be heavy. So if rocks are heavy. The virtue of a bird is that a bird flies. A bird flies. The virtue of a guitar is that it creates music. These are the things that are essential to the nature of what the object is. So what is the virtue of a human? Well, there's a few ways you can look at this. 
Because if you're talking about a human apart from God living in the world, well, back to Ecclesiastes. I started with that depressing person, Ecclesiastes 7. He set out in his life to test all of these different philosophies of life and see which ones would work for him. So he tried pleasure. He gave himself over to pleasure and did whatever his little heart desired. He gave himself to acquiring wealth and he amassed massive amounts of wealth and became rich and wealthy. He decided to accomplish things, to build things, to do great achievements. And at the end of doing all those things, he said, you know what, it's kind of like chasing after the wind. What's the point? We can get caught up in that. To think that the virtue is to live the good life that we enjoy, or the virtue is to be wealthy, to, to attain enough money that we can enjoy this life, or virtue is achieving things, getting things done, conquering things, being successful. But for Christians, those aren't the sort of virtues that Christ calls us to. Those aren't the things that are appropriate to us as believers. For Christians, God has given us his divine power so that we can look more like Jesus. And in the Bible, there are plenty of places where there are lists of ways that we can look more like Jesus. The ladies on Tuesday morning have a great Bible study going. It's really well attended and exciting, and it's nice to hear the murmuring and the excitement of people downstairs when I'm here on Tuesday. But they're doing it on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. These are some of the virtues that we can be developing in our life. They're appropriate for us as believers. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, I'll let you grab my Bible here because I was reading this morning, just before I slowed my driveway, I was reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, and I noticed that there was another list in there that just, it, it, it had these beautiful virtues in it, these things that we can aspire to. Aspire to. Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Be the Christian you are called to be with humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love. That means putting up with one another, by the way. When the Bible says bearing with one another in love, the bearing with, it means it's difficult. Sometimes we have to bear with one another. That's what we're called to do, bear with one another in love. Maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But if you read your Bible, you'll see place after place where qualities of Jesus are, could become evident in our lives. So that one day when people are talking about us at our funeral, some of these things might bubble up to the surface. We are called ultimately to develop the character of Jesus in our lives. We are to look more like Jesus and less like the world as we live and as we grow and as we mature. And living like that draws other people to Jesus. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in our men's, our men's uh, Connect Night on Wednesday. But there's a temptation in the Christian life to say, you know what, don't put me on a pedestal, 
don't look at me, just look at Jesus. And that's a nice sentiment, but Paul said, look at me as I follow Jesus. As Christians, we are called to take on the responsibility of living in a way that demonstrates the reality of God in this world. We are to live with those qualities so that when people see us, they actually see the qualities of Jesus. And this is one of the ways that the church has grown throughout history. There's a sociologist, uh, Rodney Stark, and he, uh, I read his book about how Christianity exploded in those first three centuries. It went from 120 people in the upper room or 120 people in the upper room or so, to the dominant religion in the Roman Empire in three centuries. How on earth did it happen? Well, there's a lot of factors. It was, of course, led by the Spirit of God. But one of the reasons that Christianity flourished was because the Romans looked at the Christians and thought, they're good people. I like what they're doing morally. I can respect what they're doing. Some of the reasons that made the early Christians different was they didn't kill their baby girls. Female infanticide is a horrible thing for families that want boys, and it was practiced regularly in the ancient world. Christians wouldn't do that. So the world looked at that and thought, what a different way to live. Christians were selfless. When the plague and diseases would hit a town, all the wealthy people would leave and flee so they wouldn't get sick. And you know who was left caring for the sick? It was often the Christians. Often at the expense of their own life. But people saw that selfless giving and thought, man, that's, that's, that's a better example than the people around me. Christians were courageous. They were often persecuted in the early church. I've been reading uh, Ignatius, who's one of the early church fathers, and as he's on his way to Rome, he's about to be fed to the lions in the Colosseum, and he says, whatever you do, don't try to intervene and stop this, because I'm ready. Bring it on. It's crazy to read the way he talks. Christians were courageous, and so people outside of the church looked at Christians as these examples of morality and thought, I want to be like that. When people look at you from the world, do they look at you and think, man, that's the sort of person I want to be like. That's who we're called to be. Follow me as I follow Christ. Last point, major point of this message is I wanted to have a look at this virtue in the life of Jesus. And when you look at Jesus' life, you see virtue after virtue after virtue after virtue. And I could have chosen one of many virtues to highlight, but I'll just choose a simple one. This is from Matthew 19. Little children were being brought to him in order that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them, but Jesus said, oh, let them come. Don't stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And they, they, he laid his hands on them and went his way. That compassion to people who wouldn't normally receive compassion was a hallmark in Jesus' life. You see, in Jesus' day, children were viewed as property until they became of a certain age. They were pushed to the side, they weren't heard, they weren't listened to, they were trained up so one day they could become a real human being, essentially. And so when they were flocking to Jesus, the disciples were like, ah, no, 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 get, get them away from him. And Jesus was like, ah, let them come. 
Let them waste my time as you would see it. He showed compassion to people who you wouldn't expect a rabbi that day to show compassion. You know, just as an application, one of the, one of the most joyful moments of the Sunday morning service for me is crouching down here with all the kids. And I don't even always know what to say, and I'm usually interrupted more than I talk anyways. But looking at those little faces is brilliant. It's just, it's, 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 over, it's an overjoyful moment. I don't even know the words to say. Compassion is a hallmark of Jesus' life, and it grew out of his faith. It grew out of Jesus' allegiance to his Father. His Father loves his creation, and Jesus loves his creation as well. It came out of his faith, and it is a demonstration of his love for everyone. So to close this, goodness is not so much a specific virtue. It's not like one thing you can put your finger on. But rather, it's a word that describes all sorts of virtues. So which virtue is most important to you? What would you want people to say about you at your funeral? That person is... And then let's work on developing that virtue this week. I'll just warn you right up front. If you say patience, you're in for a lot of training. <laughs> so be, you might not want to pick patience, but no, I'm just joking. Virtues take effort, right? This is in the context of make every effort. These things don't come easy. But as we persevere and become like Jesus, it will become part of us and the world will look on and think, man, how is he calm in that situation? Why on earth didn't she lash out when that happened? Why is that person still caring for an, Like, we will look different, and it'll be attractive to the world. Our Father, thank you for calling us to do difficult things, not to just coast through life, but to put effort in and work at being the people you created us to be. Lord, on that day when we receive the white stone from you, I pray that that we'll be able to, we won't be surprised by it, Lord, but we'll, we'll recognize that, yeah, that's what you've been developing in our lives all along. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we think about these virtues, that you might tweak our heart with one or two that we really need to focus on, that we really need to pour our effort into. And in this next moment of the service, Lord, may we commit today to choosing to follow you in this. In Jesus' name. Amen.